Hello again, everybody. This is Michael from the Awesome 80s Podcast. I have a previous recording done from a year or two ago with Lawrence and Conrad Thompson from the Something to Wrestle With Podcast. Please listen and enjoy. We'll be back with a new episode later on this week. Thanks. Bye. This is the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, coming to you live from Boca Raton, and you're listening to the Awesome 80s Podcast with Michael and Lawrence. Everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Awesome 80s Podcast. This is your co-host, Michael. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and drop in on an interview that Lawrence did earlier with the host of the Something to Wrestle With Podcast, Conrad Thompson. Please enjoy. Uh, first, just a couple of questions, just so people get to know you. Uh, you are uh, from Alabama, uh, the Alabama Slammer, Conrad Thompson. Yeah, I think... I started with WrestleMania three, but I was, I was more, once I moved, I was grew up in the Chicago area. Once I moved just a little South, still in Illinois, but Southern Illinois, I really found WCW and that really became my thing, uh, from about 88 through about 92 or 93, which, uh, which company did you side towards more? Jim Crockett. And I've gone back and seen most of the great stuff that people enjoyed 85, 86, 87, 88. I, like I said, I, I did go back and forth as well. But it was just something, I think it was the Four Horsemen uh, at the time uh, that really, really drew me in. Uh, and I know that, you know, you are friends with Ric Flair. How is that, was that like the first time you got to meet Rick, just being such an awe of him? Well, it was a surreal moment. You know, it's not anything that I imagined that I would uh, ever have an audience with him or exchange phone numbers with him or become friendly with him. Uh, but it was awesome just to uh, get to meet him and have a conversation with him and uh, very quickly realized, hey, he's a real person and uh, he's pretty fun to hang out with. Yeah, I actually, the, I met Rick in the beer line of the Brian second, second, second Brian Pillion Memorial Show. Uh, him and Steamboat were behind me and I didn't want to intrude because they were having a conversation, so I didn't. But it took everything I had just not to go crazy because that little kid inside me and I was still in my early 20s, but I was just this little kid inside me was just going nuts. Like, we didn't have camera phones back then, so I couldn't even sneak a shot. But, uh, yeah, I can't imagine what it would be like. And now, you know, being friends with him, that's awesome. Um, going into, as I mentioned, the horsemen and just kind of going from there, uh, I believe you recently mentioned that one of your favorite horsemen in our incarnations was the, uh, the 89, 94 horsemen, the Sid Vicious, Barry Windham. Uh, and then of course, Arn and Rick that as growing up, that was my favorite horseman. I, I wasn't, I think I was just a little too young for the other horsemen. Obviously when they were on. What about that horseman? Did you enjoy kind of the same thing that you just said? You know, I was a little late to really appreciate Tully and Oli. Um, I thought Barry Windham was a phenomenal performer in the ring as a kid. I liked his boots. I liked his glove. I thought that was cool. 
Uh, obviously, I've always thought Arn Anderson was underrated. I think anybody who's paying attention realizes that he probably could or should have been world champion. Uh, and then Sid just had a way about him. And I know that a lot of people don't like him and don't get him, but to me, he'll always be a guilty pleasure. Uh, I thought he was a very imposing individual. He had great facials, I thought, that played to the crowd. Uh, I thought he handled his size very well. Now, does that mean he was a phenomenal seller or he, he knew how to bump all over the ring and made it look good? No, but I don't think he had to to be effective. I mean, clearly he may have ended two WrestleManias, uh, so he, he knew you know how to, how, to, how to get the job done. And I was a big Sid fan, and I know that's not very popular, but yeah, as a kid, man, that dude was the man. So I love that version of the Horseman. Yeah, they were there. That feud with Doom uh, around that same time that you guys are talking about now, that late ninety or late uh, nineteen ninety, when just the realism, the vignettes in the parking lot of them just beating the crap out of each other, like that still sticks with me today. And they just seemed like they were just some badass guys, and they were, you know bordering on heelish and facious at the time, depending on who they were feuding with. Uh, I don't know. I just, I love that incarnation, as you said. Uh, we have a question from one of our listeners. Uh, uh, Casey uh, would like to know, what is your favorite 80s wrestling movie? Uh, there's a lot of them that were came out in that little pocket of time. You've talked about a couple of them on your show. But what to you was your favorite when it came out? There's only one one correct answer here, and it's no holds barred. It's the greatest wrestling movie of all time, period, the end. Nothing else is up for discussion, um, at least for me. You know, I know people say, oh, I liked Body Slam, or I liked this one or that one. Nope. I can't even count any of the fringe stuff like, you know, They Live. I can't count that. I've got to go no holds barred. Absolutely agree, 100%. Uh, so... As you started watching wrestling, and uh, you know we're an '80s podcast, but we go into the '90s and whatnot. And since both of our fandoms started in the late '80s, uh, did you ever have a, a time where you kind of left wrestling? Yeah, I fell out in late '92, uh, and I didn't come back in until the uh, fall of 1996, uh, and then I left again. I'm going to say January of 2006, and then came back a little bit in June of 2011, uh, but started paying a lot of attention and we'll call it uh, January 2013. You and I have very similar wrestling timetables. I fell out around that same time. I'd like to think that, you know, at the time that, you know, that product in 92 was just, it wasn't, it was not going in a good direction. I don't think the whole, especially I, we were both at that time going to be, you know, in our teenage, starting to become teenagers. I just don't think that it was where it was at. But in 96, like the feeling of flipping over and watching Nitro and watching Raw, like, is there anything that was better than that as a wrestling fan? Uh, yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed that, but I enjoy now too. And I, and I, I enjoy it now for different reasons. And I feel like a lot of people, you know, kind of say, oh, it's not what it once was. And I get that, but, you know, look at all the access we have now as far as, um, you know, Twitter and podcasts and just there's so much content, not just through there, but once upon a time you had to like tape trade and everything's yeah. at your fingertips now. You know, there's an app for that or you can go to YouTube or you can put it in Google or Vimeo or you have access to so much stuff right now, whether it's 
compilations or single matches or angles or whole shows or shoot interviews or podcasts or books or just tweet the guys themselves, the access you have now is unparalleled. So I think you could argue now is the best time ever to be a fan. You know, I, I agree. It's it's a different level, like you said. Like in 96 and 97, that feeling of like going back and forth or I would watch Raw then watch the Nitro replay, that was, I think, more of an adrenaline kind of, you know, like, oh, what's going to happen type fandom. But as a complete fan, you're absolutely correct. The access that we have now is just unbelievable. Uh, and with regards to that, of course, Ryan Satin's report yesterday that WWE is in talks to buy ROH for the network. I don't. That's very early, and you know that's just a, a thing that was put out there. But that's just another amazing. Just the fact that those type of things are more and more possible now, and what the network has become has completely changed what it is to be a fan, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know. I just I love watching the network. Have you found any hidden gems on there? Yeah, I find stuff on there at least once a month that I didn't realize was on there, and just think it's pretty cool that we get an opportunity to see it. You know, I saw the the Buddy Rogers Ric Flair thing, uh, which I didn't think anybody would ever see, and there it is. Uh, and I can't say that I've ever went way out of my way to find it, but it is still right. kind of cool to see and to know that I didn't have to just go out and find it on my own. Uh, it was presented to me and clear to find and easy to find and 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 essentially free because I was paying that nine ninety nine regardless. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's worth it just for the pay per views alone. So. Um... What is your favorite match that kind of sticks out to you as a child? Uh, we'll say like as a child, like we'll say up until '92 when you left for the first time. Oh wow! Um, you know the the match that sticks out to me the most, as corny as this sounds, is WrestleMania Six, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. That was such a big match to me as a kid, uh, and I'm sure there's lots of other matches that you know I, I enjoy more now. But as a kid. That was a really, really big deal. And I would have been um, eight at the time. I would have turned nine a few months later. And the eight-year-old version of me just thought that was the coolest match ever. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was the biggest thing. How, how could you have two good guys go against each other? How could you have the two biggest guys go against each other? It was unfathomable Absolutely. to watch. It was uh, such great fun. What was uh, I was a huge tag team uh, wrestling fan. Uh, when I in my younger years, uh, that's why I love Starcade '90 so much in the Pat O'Connor Memorial Tournament. Uh, did you have a favorite tag team growing up? I was a Demolition fan. I thought Demolition was the coolest uh, ever. Of course, I was a Rockers fan too. But right, I remember really loving Demolition as a kid for sure. Uh, so we have a sister podcast, uh, the Old School Wrestling Podcast, and they've been doing it for about. Uh, about five or six years now, and they do something similar, but you know they obviously don't have the insight that uh, you guys do, but they just go through and review shows now and kind of discuss. And I was put on a show with them not long ago where they assigned me to debate on behalf of Demolition versus Legion of Doom as which team was better. I put a pretty strong argument, I think, for Demolition, and I'm talking about the WWF version of Legion of Doom, not the Road Warriors. Uh to me, at that time, Demolition was better than that version than of the WWF Road Warrior or Legion of Doom. Would you agree or do you disagree on that? Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I think a lot of people would probably agree with us simply because Demolition was there first. So, 
even though they may have been a quote-unquote ripoff, they weren't in the WWF, so they were first and they were better, at least in my mind. I agree. Uh, what brought you back to wrestling in 96? Flipping through the channels, uh, it was cable, and I'm flipping through, and I see Hulk Hogan in all black and a beard, and I thought, what the hell is this? Right. Uh, to seeing Hulk Hogan in red and yellow, so... When I saw that, it changed everything, and I thought, "Wait a minute! I need to I need to check this out. What's going on here? I don't know that I have enough information." So I discovered the NWO, and I was hooked, man. I was back in in a big way. Did you immediately also go back to the WWF, or did you kind of just stay with WCW for a while? No, I did more than that. I, I started watching WCW, and then I thought. Well, I didn't even know they were on. I thought Monday Night Raw was the show. Is that show still on? And I'll flip over and I see it is on. Uh, and I saw that Cactus Jack was now wearing a mask and <laughs> rocking back and forth. And so I was all in. And I even, you know, discovered wrestling on the Internet for the first time. And when I first did that and saw message boards and such, what really stuck out to me uh, was everybody talking about this new company called ECW that came on in the middle of the night. And uh, I had to find it in my local area, and it came on at like 2 a.m. or something, and I set a VCR and recorded it. And the next morning, I was shocked to see what I got on that tape. And uh, I was hooked, man. I I had the wrestling bug in a big way. So I remember uh, when I first went back to – I started the same way. I I started with WCW, and I ventured over to WWF after a couple months, uh, too. And the first time I see Austin with the shaved head, I was like, I know that guy. Who is that guy? It took me a while to like equate it because I didn't, I didn't hear his name at first. That that's stunning, Steve. The guy I hated growing the bleach blonde hair. It just took is crazy to me that oh, these are all the guys I used to watch on in WCW. Uh, you mentioned ECW and tape trading. I was the same way. I I had a friend I met from Chicago uh, who introduced me to ECW because they had it more readily available up there. I'm a couple hours south and. He gave me a tape of ECW ECW 95, and I, it changed my life, that tape. Like, everything with Stone Cold, or with Steve Austin, Mick Foley, Terry Fox. Like, I just couldn't believe this was all happening in this small bingo hall at 4 a.m. in the morning on cable. Like, it was amazing to me. No, it really was something special. I don't know that we'll see anything like it again ever again, but uh, that's probably what made it special and so unique at the time. Absolutely. Do you think if you know, this is just purely, you know, your speculation, you're, you're smart to the business, as they say, uh, if ECW would have continued, if it, if we, if it would have become um, more watered down and we might not have that good memory. And I mean the real ECW, obviously not the WWF version. Uh, yeah. I mean, everything dies eventually. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it was that great at the end. I know a lot of people like to romanticize that, but ECW at the end kind of sucked. I agree with you, 100%. Uh, yeah, that I remember watching that last pay-per-view, and it, it was December, the, the December show, and I was just kind of like, oh, well, there were some chairs. You know, it just kind of felt like they were just kind of doing what they, they thought ECW fans wanted and not kind of the creative uh, way. Uh, I don't do you I don't know if I'm not gonna if you listen to the Eric Bischoff uh, podcast, but you were recently called out into an arm wrestling match. Are you aware of that? By Nick Houseman? Yes. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's a nice guy. 
Okay, well, he recently challenged you uh, to it. Eric was putting you guys over pretty big, and he called you out, Conrad. It was uh, the Shawn Michaels episode, so I just listened to it last night, and I was like, he's calling out Conrad? What's he doing? So you might want to give well, him Well, I'd like to call out Nick Houseman. I'll put his uh, his uh, podcast against mine, and we'll show our numbers and see see who wins. I, I would like to see that. Uh, yeah, Eric was putting you guys' as, uh, – well, I I put mine up every week, so <laughs> you know, let's see them. Yep. <laughs> uh, talk to me. Just also uh, going back to your show with Bruce Pritchard, uh, your iTunes comments. That is an amazing feat. What you guys did, like you guys got over two thousand comments in a matter of a week and a half, basically. Uh, like, how shocked were you? I mean, I was. I thought it was awesome. Like I just, I wanted the bonus episodes, but how did that feel for you guys? Well, I knew it would happen. I know that sounds arrogant, but I know that what the audience wanted was bonus content. They wanted more shows and we weren't able to give them more shows than what we were doing uh, just because time wasn't permitting, but we could make time if it meant we were trying to accomplish a common goal. So I kind of surveyed the landscape of iTunes reviews and I saw that, Steve Austin had X amount, and Jim Ross had X amount, and Chris Jericho had X amount, and the Ric Flair show had X amount. Well, how do we get X plus? So I thought, hey, you know what? Rather than just asking people or randomly rewarding people with a T-shirt, let's get a common group goal and get everybody talking about it on Twitter. Hey, guys, we only need this many more to get there. And that happened. And it happened a lot faster than a lot of people expected. And uh, we wound up having the most iTunes reviews, you know, somewhere in there. Colt Cabana probably has more. But I mean amongst, you know, near the top of the charts with the, the podcasts that are most popular, you know, today with the most downloads. Uh, we have the very most. And I'm proud of that. And so we'll probably do something like that in the future, except it would be with a different initiative. Maybe something like most YouTube subscriptions or most Facebook likes or whatever. So you are a very successful businessman outside of the podcast world uh, with First Family Mortgage. Uh, do you, how much of that business sense do you bring into this podcasting? I, I try to take a straight business approach to podcasting. You know, I, I really do feel like uh, if, if anything's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And I, I'd like to be competitive and I don't want to just do a podcast to have fun. I want to do a podcast to put out the best show. And a lot of people define the best show differently. And I do get that there is an art aspect to it. But at the end of the day, you know, you're judged based on the numbers, just like any other business. So how many downloads did you get? What's your average time spent listening, which is what they, you know, look at in radio. And then, you know, what are you able to sell your ads for? How many advertisers do you have? And that's kind of how it all boils down. And a lot of people get into podcasting to have a good time. Other people get into podcasting to make money. I don't see why you can't do both. If you're having a good time and you're giving the audience what they want, uh, people will turn out. And if you have the audience, then you can make the money. So if you start something just focusing on the money, it's not going to work. If you start something focusing on how can I deliver the best product in time, word will get around and then you can make money. And that's hopefully where Bruce and I are now. That's great. One of the other thing, I mean, I've been around the podcasting, you know, like various podcasts for nine years now. So 
I've seen a lot of things come and go, and I have to say in that some of the things you guys have done, it just purely amazes me because I just haven't seen it in this in podcasting as a form. One of those big things is the t-shirts. You guys take something that doesn't cost you anything, which is having a shirt design up, and you crank out so many different designs and let the people choose what they want. And that's got to be, and I know Bruce and Tony, you know, are doing quite well in that. I have my uh, brother love shirt, and eventually I'm going to have to get a she-pooted shirt just to have. I don't know if I can wear it at the family functions, but I'll have it. But but that is just like what was I'm assuming that came from you. Like what was your mentality with with the t-shirt side of the business? Well, the brother love t-shirt was already up there before we started the podcast, and that was somebody else's idea, and it was certainly a great idea. But what I started to realize is, hey, you know what? Whenever somebody says something funny or interesting on a TV show, you see that slogan or phrase pop up you know, in your Facebook feed through these random t-shirt sellers. And then even on WWE, if somebody says something interesting, it's a t-shirt in the shop zone a week later. So I thought, you know what? Why can't we do that? And we had some fun conversations about some silly shirts, and we put them up, <laughs> and to our surprise, they started moving in a hurry. And so before you know it, it turned into, hey, we're going to make a few bucks to, hey, there's a few hundred. Oh, there's a few thousand. And it continued to build and build and build. And I would be surprised if Bruce's store wasn't top 10, you know, on pro wrestling tees at the end of the year. I'd be shocked if it isn't, if it wasn't. He, uh, all, all of my friends who I know listen to the show all have shirts. Uh, that they've ordered. Well, and, and the other thing that encourages that, which I, I will take credit for, is I said, man, we need to make ourselves different. Everybody's tweeting pictures of their shirts, uh, you know, and saying, hey, you know, buy a shirt, and this is available now, and don't forget to get your shirt. But they kind of have a standoffish, I'm a star, you know, give me 10 bucks to take a picture mentality. Right. Let's be fan friendly. You know, we're not you know, superstars, uh, let's, let's give them what they want. And that's more access. And I convinced Bruce to just call and thank people. I said, block your number. So they won't wear your ass out. Right. And just, just call and, and have a conversation with them and thank them for their business and talk about the show with them and get some feedback and find out what they like and what they don't like. And they will become, they're going to feel like they know you anyway. They're listening to us two or three hours a week. Just have a conversation with them and tell them how much you appreciate them. And as a result, now, instead of, you know, you just buy one shirt and you're done, we have so many repeat customers because they start to feel like they have a relate a personal relationship with Bruce. And, man, that's the goal of anything is to get somebody involved. When they feel like you care, you've won the war. And we really legitimately do care. We want to give a product that people enjoy, and we want people to tell their friends and listen and salivate for the next one. And the only way to do that is to just ask them and be appreciative and be thankful and be involved. Yeah, let me see. I'll say this. And I'm not, I'm honestly, I swear to you, I'm not just trying to put you over, but you guys do such a good job. And I kind of, I wanted to get kind of that aspect out there. We'll talk a little more wrestling here in a few minutes. But so just kind of the format of the show, if you're not familiar with it, it's something to wrestle with is the Bruce Pritchard one. Uh, that comes out at 11 a.m. on Fridays, uh, Central Time. 11 a.m. Central Time. Uh, so if do your time zones uh, accordingly. I uh, take care of a uh, handicapped person about an hour away from me every Friday. So I time my trip back to 
the uh, when the, when the podcast is going to drop. There have been a couple of weeks where they've been a few minutes late, and I'm checking like a crack feed, uh, trying to see if it will come in. But the set time is something not a lot of podcasts do. They kind of stagger when they get released, so I think that's impressive. Uh, but the biggest, obviously, the fan friendly is the fans getting to choose the topic. Where did that come from? Well, I hate to pat myself on the back, but pat, pat, <laughs> that was my idea. You know, I, when we're first starting, you have to appreciate Bruce started there in 87 and he was there yeah. through 2008. So you've got, you know, with the exception of a one-year break there, 21 years. You might as well call it 20 years of, of time with the exact same company. So you think about all the pay-per-views and all the angles and all the signings and all the big stories. How do you just pick one and... Uh, you know, you don't really have that option with a traditional wrestling podcast. Most wrestling podcasts before hours centered around a guest. So this week we're talking to so-and-so. Well, I've been on the other side of that with Ric Flair, and then it was a matter of who can we get. Not necessarily who would we like to have, who's the most topical, who would give us the most downloads this week. It was who can we get. And so then you start to kind of play that dance behind the scenes of, well, this guy's kind of topical, but he's busy. And this guy uh, would be great, but you know he's not also he's not he's kind of hard of hearing. Uh, <laughs> or this guy would be so you've got all those situations that you have to kind of kick around, and you just you know wind up where you wind up, and that's true of that traditional podcast format. Like there are certain guests I'm not going to click on. I feel like I've heard everything, or I don't care, or before my time, or I'm not interested in it. You know, and so there's. There is, uh, if you're trying to look at it from a business standpoint, I don't want to do a podcast because it's what I'm interested in. Because I'm not selling you know, ads based on what I'm interested in. I'm selling ads based on what everyone else is willing to listen to. And when I really took that business approach to it, it became, hey, you know what? The best way to figure out what somebody wants is to just ask them. So let's let people tweet us their ideas. And then we'll take four good ideas, throw them up on a poll, and let everybody vote. And then the topic isn't even up to us. So it's not like, oh, I don't want to listen to so-and-so on this interview format today. I'll just skip this week's episode. If you're picking, it's not wrong. And I feel like even if the topic that they voted for didn't win, they would still be appreciative of the fact that they had a voice. And if we started to promote that next week's poll topics we would announce on the show and why you should vote for it, they would listen for that. And eventually, people started to realize, hey, you know what? No matter what the topic is, it's going to be fun. It's going to be entertaining. I'm going to listen. Absolutely. Uh, so you and Bruce uh, – did. oh, I do have another question before. I was going to move over to the Shivani podcast. But Bruce uh, and you get heated sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, it's for show probably, or you guys are just kind of razzing each other, just like friends do. Uh, sometimes it seems Bruce might really be upset. How do you kind of judge which, when that is, or is Bruce just always kind of on? Let me be clear. None of that's for show. Now, that being said, we don't hate each other in real life, but anybody who has a best friend knows that you can yell and fuss and cuss at that guy. And nobody's getting their feelings hurt. It's just the way you talk to each other. And so I've got friends that, you know, when I call them, they answer the phone and call me a, a really bad word. And Now, that's not because we're cross. It's just our relationship. And that's kind of my relationship with Bruce. You know, I, we can yell and fuss and cuss and scream at each other. 
but we're still best of friends. Uh, it adds a lot to the show, too. It adds some realness, because you can tell, and like I said, I, I wasn't try, you know, saying you guys played up, but I can tell, you know, Bruce has been in the business a long time, so sometimes, you know, he knows what he's doing. But you can tell sometimes it really does get to him. And those are the, the moments where you just kind of stop, even as a listener, and you're like, okay, where is this going to go from here? Which adds to the enjoyment of it. Because like I said, and you said, you know, you guys are friends, so at the end of the day, everything's fine. But friends do fight. Friends do get in arguments, and it's fun to just kind of watch how it's going to play out. Uh, kind of switching over, uh, watch what happened. Or I'm sorry, what happened when. Uh, comes out every Monday uh, morning. Uh, with Tony Schiavone, what was your how was your idea to approach Tony of uh, someone who's kind of polarizing to wrestling fans? And like you said you mentioned earlier Bruce is too, but Tony really had some hatred there in the late '90s by a lot of wrestling fans uh, that I think he's overcoming, uh, and I think it's healthy for him because he sounds like more into it each week. Uh, so, how what was your idea to approach him with that? Um, how did I make the pitch, or why did I think of him? Uh, why did you think of him first off? I thought of him because I thought he was so similar to Bruce and that he was there pretty much the whole time. You know, he was there from 1983 to 2001 with the exception of one year he spent with Vince. So, you know, we said earlier that Bruce was there from 87 to 2008 with the exception of one year he was out. So you're talking about 20 years versus 18. So pretty much the same amount of time. Uh, and he would have seen all of the changes from Jim Crockett when they were up, and when they, I mean, when they were on their way up, when they were at their height, when they were on their way down, when they sold, uh, the UWF purchase, when Turner took over, and all the different people who were in charge, from a Vince Russo to a Jim Hurd to a Bill Watts. Uh, I mean, all the way through Eric Bischoff, obviously. And I knew he had done a little bit of everything. I knew that he had done, you know, the announcing gig. I knew that he had been on the booking committee. I knew he had worked in television production. I knew he had worked in syndication sales. He had done everything. And I knew that he was a lifelong wrestling fan. He grew up in the Mid-Atlantic era and loved all the the old Jim Crockett promotion stuff from the Mid-Atlantic territory and grew up there as a big fan going to the shows. And also knew he was a professional broadcaster. So that can't be denied the amount of time he's spent um, you know, in a booth wearing a headset calling sports. So he knows how to carry a broadcast and how to present himself. Uh, but most of all, he wasn't overexposed. And so with, Bruce Pritchard had a bad rap. And people said, oh, he's a stooge. Oh, he's a con man. Oh, he's a drug addict. You know, you got all these different things that were out there about Bruce, and really the only thing they really knew of him was he used to be Brother Love, and that was kind of it. Uh, everything else was negative. And with Tony, you know, everybody kind of soured on him as an on-air personality, and then he had the perception that he hated wrestling, but I knew that wasn't the case. I knew from seeing him at NWA Legends Fan Fest in August of last year that he was still a wrestling fan, that he enjoyed his time there, that he had a great time, that he grew up loving wrestling and still did, but that he had moved on with his life. But most of all, I knew he was witty and foul-mouthed, <laughs> and I thought, you know what? He's witty, he's foul-mouthed, he's a professional broadcaster, he was there the entire time, and he's not overexposed. He hasn't done a podcast, he hasn't done you know, shoot interviews, he hasn't done exposés, he hasn't been around for a long time, and I think there will be 
enough nostalgia on his side to tell the WCW side of the WWF story. Uh, and at the same time, cover all of the stuff in between. What Prior to the Monday Night Wars, the Black Scorpion era stuff, uh, the first Nitro stuff. Uh, and then, you know, all the Jim Crockett stuff that people really love, the Dusty Rhodes, Four Horsemen stuff. So, for whoever, I think it was someone on Twitter who first called him the Bob Saget of, of podcasting, but that cracked me up because, man, does he have a foul mouth. I love it, but I was not expecting it. Well, I don't think anybody was. And the Bob Saget of, uh, of pro wrestling is, is a perfect analogy. And somebody said it on Twitter, and then I think MSL said it. Uh, on his show with um, Court Bauer, the MLW flagship, and and it's it's spot on. You know, he does have that sense of humor, and uh, people don't expect it from him, and it makes for an even funnier show, at least in my book. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, what did you say to pitch him to do it? Because he has, as you mentioned, he hasn't been exposed much, which kind of, at least the impression was, was of his own volition. So, what was your pitch to him? I just kind of broke down uh, what we were doing on Bruce's show and how he would make money and what my vision for the show was. And uh, I, I sent him a very well-written, if I do say so myself, probably five-paragraph <laughs> email explaining it all and click send, and he responded with two words, I'm in. Awesome. At what point is his wife going to punch him in the face? How do you know she hasn't already? I don't. You're right. I don't. <laughs> I'm assuming she doesn't listen at all, which would probably be best for everyone, but that's okay. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm going to try to stay out of their uh, domestic yeah. situation just so I'm not involved in any of the police reports. Just keep bringing up Deborah McMichael and everything will be fine. Well, here's the deal. By now, Lois knows who she married. You know what I mean? Oh, that's true. You're right. You know what? You're right. That's absolutely true. Just because we were surprised by Tony, she would know him the whole time. So Absolutely. Uh, and so once again, I just want to plug that one. That comes out every Monday. You can subscribe to all of these through iTunes uh, or whatever podcast app you choose. Uh, I want to discuss before uh, I let you go, Conrad, about WrestleMania. Uh, I usually attend WrestleManias. This year I'm sitting out so I can get ready for uh, to nature a little in New Orleans next year. Uh and so this year's WrestleMania coming up here in just a few weeks, what match are you looking forward to the most? Man, that's hard to say. Uh, I'm pretty fired up about Kevin Owens and uh, Chris Jericho. I think that'll be a great one. I think that the, that the mixed tag match is going to be better than anybody gave it credit for when it was first announced. I'm interested to see what the ending of Roman Undertaker is. I think Seth and Triple H can steal the show if they don't go too long. Um, I'm curious to see how much punishment Goldberg can take. Hmm. Uh, it'll be interesting to me to see if they have Corbin go over Dean clean and kind of crown him as, as the next guy they're strapping the rocket to, and what will that mean to Dean if he loses clean? Uh, and then I'm, I'm kind of curious about the women's title because it seems as if they've missed an opportunity to kind of create a female Daniel Bryan type situation with Bailey. Yep. So if, if a baby face comes in with the title and leaves with the title, I don't know how that works. So you've got to expect maybe a Sasha turn or something crazy. Um, 
So I, I, I think they've set themselves up to have a very interesting card. And of course, we're going to have our usual host of surprises. And uh, I think right. it'll be, I think it'll be a card that a lot of people are sleeping on unnecessarily. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the, the main event match is Goldberg Brock, but are you also risking something putting that match last when we don't know really what these guys can do for, you know, an extended time, which usually a WrestleMania event would necessitate? Well, I don't think, I don't think we need to jump to that conclusion. I don't think it's going to necessarily be long. How long does it take right. to suplex somebody 10 times? That's true. That's true. I, I, I think it'll be 10 suplexes and F5, and we're out of here. We'll see you next year. Yeah, and I'd be fine with that. I think I, I was in Dallas last year, and I, the crowd for that main event, even though they weren't terribly hyped for that match in particular, they were tired. I was tired, you know, by that, you know, 1030 when that match went on. It was a, it was a long night, and – I think that maybe that would actually kind of be the punch in the arm they need as a main event. Cause I think they pretty much established WrestleMania is going to be a four and a half hour show minimum. And well, you know, I, I, I'm a little bothered by that because I see a lot of people online saying, Oh, WrestleMania is too long. You know, it's like, you can't have it both ways. E- either you want WrestleMania to be about the guys who've been on the road all year and this is their yep. reward. Or you don't, and and if that's how long it takes to have everybody get their shot on the show, then shut up, let them do it, <laughs> and, and and let's also appreciate that, you know, if you if you watch the whole Super Bowl pre-show, and then you watch the Super Bowl, and then you watch the overtime, and you watch all the commercials and the halftime show, and then you watch the post-game show, the Super Bowl's eight hours, right, so. Right. If that's if that's the gold standard for television, uh, if you don't want to watch the pre-show, don't. The, the actual pay-per-view is going to start at the same time. Uh, I mean, you know, an hour earlier. So you're going to get four hours. But right. it doesn't have to be a six-hour deal. And so there's so many people who say, oh, well, with all the pre-shows and the countdowns and the... So everything has that, you know, college football has that college basketball has that the Super Bowl has no one's making you watch it. If it's a chore to watch it, don't watch it. There's not going to be a test at work on Monday (laughs) when you go in. So just skip it if you don't want to watch it. You are correct. Uh, But in in response to that, also, one of my favorite WrestleManias ever was WrestleMania 2000. And it was because of the all day event. I think some of that. Do you remember when they did the all day WrestleMania event? Where? (sighs) They hyped. They had hype for seven hours. I think it started at eleven. And the show didn't yeah, it was an all-day affair, and and we get requests to cover it every week because people tell me how much they love it. And then I scroll through their timeline, and two days ago they were bitching that WrestleMania is five hours this year. I mean, <laughs> just you, you just you just want to be unhappy, and that's okay. Just say I'm angry about everything and nothing at the same time. <laughs> uh, one of my. I, and like I said, going back to last year's WrestleMania, I think some of the things that people had a problem with is they just weren't hyped up for the main event. And no one wanted to see Roman in there. But you know what? That's what they gave you. These, And I agree with you. Those guys worked their asses off. It was a great match for you know for what they could do. They gave you a match. I just think that people equate that they didn't like the main event to not to the time. And I don't think, I don't think they're separating with the, like they should. However... I also respect the guys out there, and if they're busting their ass in a WrestleMania main event, they're going to get my attention whether I'm exhausted or not. 
So yeah, I'm looking forward to this year's WrestleMania, and and I think it's going to be a good card. You know, argue that argue that oh, I would have booked it this way or that way, but. In the end, I think everybody's going to get their money's worth because let's remember, a few years ago we were paying forty and fifty dollars, and this year we're paying ten. Yep, absolutely. Uh, one last match. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned or not in uh, the Shane AJ match. What are you expecting out of that? One crazy bump. I mean, that's what everybody's ready for. That's what we've been conditioned for. If you don't give us our big crazy bump, people are going to get their pitchforks. That's what they want from Shane McMahon. Right or wrong, he has put himself in that position now, and I'm sure they have something in mind. I'm sure he's jumping off of something crazy, and hopefully he doesn't get hurt and everybody's okay. Uh, and I know there's lots of criticism that, oh, AJ deserved better. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, the big bump. That's what everybody's looking forward to in this match, and right or wrong, that's the way everybody has kind of been conditioned is to expect a big bump from a big match like this with Shane McMahon. And uh, I hope that they perform that stunt and he's okay and everybody's okay and nobody gets hurt. That would be ideal. Uh, I don't know a lot of people online have kind of expressed, you know, that they were upset that AJ deserved better and he shouldn't be in this match with, you know, someone like Shane McMahon. But they've put him in a very featured spot here, and that's evident by the placement that this angle has had on SmackDown and the time it's gotten. So I'm happy he has a featured spot. Uh, win, win, lose, or draw, uh, he has a featured spot. And, of course, we know AJ's going to win. I mean, he's yeah. getting a win at WrestleMania against a McMahon that will be very memorable with a big spot. And I'm sure they'll they'll have a, a bunch of really cool sequences. I think they'll be able to put together something that's memorable. Will it be a five-star Dave Meltzer classic? No. But it doesn't have to be for it to be a WrestleMania moment. And he'll AJ will certainly have his opportunity to wrestle for the world title or the universal title or wherever he winds up in in the upcoming WrestleManias. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for your time, uh, Conrad. One real quick other thing is you guys have been starting to do live shows with the uh, Bruce Pritchard uh, show. You guys are going to be in my neck of the woods uh, there on July 18th, I or June 18th, I apologize. Uh, Sunday, June 18th uh, in St. Louis. Uh, have tickets sold out for that yet? Tickets are on their way to a sellout, but they haven't sold out just yet. We've just expanded VIP uh, due to the demand. Uh, but it is available at notarib.com. And June 18th is Father's Day. Uh, so don't think that this wouldn't make a great Father's Day gift. It would. And you could make it a full wrestling day. Maybe uh, wake up and go to church with Dad that day, and then you guys go to lunch together. And then cruise on over and hear Bruce and I curse at each other and uh, have a couple of beers. And then we're just a couple of miles away from where they're going to have WWE main event, Money in the Bank. It's a pay-per-view event, uh, available only on the network, of course. It's always a fun time for Money in the Bank. And you'll be able to enjoy that show and something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard on Father's Day. Tickets are available now with early bird prices. They're even cheaper than we're doing in Orlando and uh, they're only 25 bucks for general admission, 50 bucks for VIP, which is probably what you want to do. It seems to be the more popular option, and you can check those out right now at notarib.com. As we get closer to the event, the prices will go up, but you've got plenty of time. It's not until June 18th, but snatch your tickets now. Our show in Orlando sold out in about 30 days, so go ahead and pick up your tickets before it's too late, notarib.com. 
I mean, with yeah. a, with a pitch like that right off the top of your head, no wonder you're such a natural salesman. Uh, I am picking up two VIP tickets this weekend, so I will be definitely down there uh, in St. Louis. I'll be making the drive down to see you guys in the VIP section. I look forward to it a lot. Uh, I really wanted to go to Orlando, and I was sad that I could not do that. So definitely looking forward to seeing you in St. Louis. Uh, and I suggest everyone else go out and do that as well. Conrad, I know you're such a busy man. I can't thank you enough and tell you how much I appreciate this. Uh, you taking your time out to uh, talk to me and our listeners. Uh, we have a lot of big fans. Uh, I have one last request uh, from Josh S. Uh, he asked if you could give us a Roll Tide. Roll Tide! Thank you, Conrad. Thanks, man. Get your maggots, this is Sergeant Slaughter from WWE and G.I. Joe, the real American hero. You're listening to the awesome 80s podcast. Don't touch the dial. That's an order.